You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. We're about to have the crispiest audio in the history of Running Public today. Oh, yeah. How's this? So good. You've got your new mic my even newer mic of the same style only a few days newer few days that's it i think it's only a few days newer. i think we got these about the same time but yeah man these are these are legit we are sounding nice i feel like i'm in studio with you sitting across the table from you we could be we need we might need to do something like that for chicago i got that recorder i don't know how to use it it's gonna be fun whatever happens whatever happens we got it. i'm still waiting i heard i was gonna hear today on the 15 situation oh that'll be exciting well this this podcast will be a call to action for kirk because his microphone sucks and we just got a complaint about it last week damn saying kirk kirk isn't isn't up to par that's what they said yeah and he has this exact mic sitting on his desk he's just gotta plug the thing in simply a, a, a plug and play scenario nothing else so you find out today, allegedly, if you get into the the major at Chicago. Yeah, allegedly. I mean, I mean, German Germany time right now. It's like close to quitting time. I don't know if they're burning the midnight oil over there at High Rocks HQ. But are they plus five or plus six from where we from six, Chicago? Six, I think. Six Berlin time. I have it on my phone. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> I gotta know what's going on over there at all at all times, whenever whenever possible. Yeah, right now it is six thirty p.m. Six thirty-eight. So I would imagine, unless, like I said, maybe they're out there just workaholics, letting the people getting getting people ready for these events, letting people know. Or m- more likely, is just way down on their priority list, and they're just not uh, like, like, oh yeah, I forgot that, forgot that you would be caring about this. It's and, probably uh, that they gave an email to like six people saying, "Listen, you you have to decide today," and they're waiting to hear back. Or right. who knows? It's too late. Move on. Well, we're here with Rich Ryan today. And we are we opened up talking about High Rocks, which is the reason I wanted to talk to Rich because Rich has become the like the voice of hybrid, I would say, in the in the training, coaching, competing realm right now. I think it, it'd be safe to say that if you had an attribute profile of everyone in High Rocks and Deca, and it was like performing, podcasting, and coaching, you would have the highest aggregate score there if you add everything in, probably. Just yeah. because it's like so broad, right? Well, how many people have a bigger podcast about hybrid than you? Probably a few. I don't know. Not a ton. How many of them are world champs in hybrid? That's the thing. Maybe right. what? One? Maybe. And then how many are also leading the way, the forefront of how to train for hybrid? I don't know. The ar- There could be some arguments there, but... Could be. But all three together is what I'm saying. I like it. Yeah. I'm with it. And yet, despite all of that, you're a runner at heart. And so there are some people here that I think are going to read the episode title in the show notes and think this is going to be a hybrid conversation. And I and it's not. This is a running conversation. So so here here's the background of why I want to talk to you today. Because in talking with you and working with my own athletes, talking with Rylan a little bit, the the same theme keeps coming up, which is we can train our systems doing not running and become a better runner or come back from injury quick to running. Mm-hmm. And and we didn't learn these things until we got to hybrid, I think for the most part. I would say that's fair. And so since you've gone so far into hybrid, I can only assume you've found the same things that I have, that there are things that apply back to the regular running world that aren't revolutionary, 
we just don't think about them ever as pure runners. So yeah, I think that potentially this could become a little bit more mainstream with the introduction of these machines in the, like more globo gyms now. Like you mm-hmm. can like you can go into a gym that is whatever under a hundred bucks a month and find a ski or find a rower. There'll be some sort of fan bike situation in there, and I think it just more and more these machines will be readily readily available. But how to use them? And what they're going to do for you and what you can expect from them for your fitness is still part of it. We're still kind of in like the the discovery phase of that. And I think this hybrid training is really going to be beneficial for that so that we can really kind of solidify what's happening and and what the use cases are and like the dosage and everything. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of space here to to kind of like figure out what what we're talking about, what we're doing. Yeah. And and because from the running perspective, there's just really like myths and legends about people who got injured, went in on a machine to keep them healthy, and then came out and popped something. Like the first I heard of it was, I think, Brian Deems. He was the coach of my high school coach when my coach was in high school. Oh, wow. When he was <laughs> What a, kind of machine was he using? Like a... Well, pool running. Oh, I see. I see. Like, I see. this is the first story I've heard of this. He okay. was a steeplechaser and he made the Atlanta Olympics. I believe it was in hmm. Atlanta. And he had a stress fracture, something like nine or 12 weeks out, something like that. And he, he trained in the pool all the way up until the last minute and then went out and ran really well. And it was, it was this like urban legend of Deems did it. And he was known as this really tough, gritty guy. And so it had that kind of asterisk to it. Like, oh, of course Deems did it. But that was the first story I heard. And my coach told me that when I was in high school, which was back in like 04, I probably heard this story. So that was like the, the planting the seeds for this, so that it could be done. There was a way to build engine without running and then pair it to running. But all the stories I ever heard were just that. There were stories about people who were forced into this situation where mm. you had to salvage, maintain, or, you know, God forbid, build running fitness without running. And then they managed to cobble something together and, and do okay. But you never really heard about people who intentionally chose to build fitness on other modalities. Right. And like the contemporary example is that is uh, Parker Valby, right? Yes. Who, who is said to run three days a week i think do we know what she's doing on those other days i heard a ton of elliptical elliptical that was that and we can get into the actual conversation part and that that was something that i'm curious about because a lot a lot of times like these legendary coaches they will say things like if you need want to get better at running you have to run which i i agree with to to uh to a a large like perfect respect of that right Right. Like if you can run a lot, do that. And like, yes, would is rowing going to make you faster at running? Probably not directly, but indirectly. It can work on similar systems. But what people are doing and what going to be what the best machines might be in terms of like the efficiency that you and what you'll get back in for the actual movement itself is an interesting conversation mm-hmm. that I'm sure we'll we'll touch on here. Yeah. So I guess where, where, where are we going to start? Is this where we want to start or do you want to start on the yeah, system piece? I think st- starting globally talking about the idea that it was originally just for performance, um, maybe like retention when you got injured. It was a means to an end and the, you couldn't mm-hmm. really look around the industry and say, listen, if I want to be a lower mileage athlete, this is the guy I've got to read up on. Or this is the person I need to talk to. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, Jerry had some athletes get injured and they came back okay. Or, you know, it, that was the kind of thing. There was someone who got hurt and they just lived on the the the, the paddleboard. 
they just kicked in the flutter, kicked in the pool for three weeks and then did whatever, or it was just always aqua jogging. That was what you Mm -hmm. heard the most of, or you would bike if you could put any pressure down on your lower leg, which is often what, where the injuries were is lower leg, but it wasn't really anywhere else, but in triathlon that you heard about these stories of people intentionally building engine and volume on top of their running and being successful at it. And then the second place I saw it was, uh, was when I got into OCR where we had this, this group of Canadian Olympic biathletes who were supremely dominant early on in the sport of OCR at mountain running. Mark Andre Bedard, I believe was his name. Marco Bedard is, is for sure that's the name. I, and I don't know if it was Andre or not, but Mark, Marco Bedard and then his fiance, Claude Godbu. Mm-hmm. Two-time champ. Yeah. World champs. And they went out and gave it to people the first year in Killington with Ho- Hobie Call was there and Hobie cramped and cramped and cramped. And he was at the time a 216 marathoner running 100, 120 miles per week up until a year prior to this, and then started doing low mileage, high intensity OCR work. So like a legitimate national class marathoner, and they just gave it to him as not hyper lean distance athletes. They were Olympic biathletes, skiing and shooting, who did a ton of trail running and stair running and bounding to round out their ski work that they did. Hmm. But they could just hammer in the mountains. So just these little glimpses in my past of things that happened. And now this is just our world. It's how can we drive fitness? How can we fit more volume? How can for the hybrid athletes that we work with, but bringing it all full circle back to the athletes, which is we've learned this is a valid tool that we can actually use with runners and you don't have to be injured to access it. And mostly I think where where you're going to see the biggest benefits are aerobically. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's, where you can see a huge benefit because your your body will ad- adapt aerobically to the stimulus. It doesn't necessarily have to be running. I think running is probably the best way to tax your aerobic system just mm-hmm. based off of the damage that you inflict, just the positions that you're in when you're vertical the whole time. It's just a little bit more challenging for your your heart to like pump blood. Fighting gravity right. is a big thing. Fighting gravity. And like, so I think it, it's probably the most effective way. Yes. It's also mo- the most damaging. It's also yeah. the hardest to do the most in. And in something like aerobic training, volume is, is really where well, the place where you're going to need to lean into to really see like the next level of benefits. Yeah. And I think that's probably where we should start is aerobically because mm-hmm. the, and this is something I've said in the past because it's what I learned. It's what you heard the top coaches say. And it's something I firmly believe, which is you can't just copy the training of the pros. You mm-hmm. have to find out what are the principles of the pros training and then water it down until, you know, distill it down to what do I need to do at my volume level, but you can't copy their volume. But then the argument to all of that is that if you can't replicate their volume, the quality sessions aren't going to hit the same for you. It's not going to be built upon the same type of engine that they built. And so it's not going to work the same way. Like part of the reason they can do these workouts is because they can do their volume. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just a, oh, a, a, like there's no dichotomy there. Like it's not, we have our quality and we have our volume. Theirs is very much paired together. It's symbiotic. Mm-hmm. And so this, this is the, since entering the hybrid space is the first time I've ever thought about it along the lines of you can copy what the pros are doing. You run as much of the volume as you can do and you find the rest of that volume somewhere else and you can round out aerobically without running and running the race. Like you can't run a hundred mile weeks. Most people can't consistently, but you can do let's say 30 or 40 miles a week. And then the extra time that you would spend to get the benefits of running a hundred miles, because the magic's not in the miles. It's 
the time you spent building it. It's time. Right. You can right. start to piece that together elsewhere. This is interesting because I, I, I recently just – in my most recent training block, I wanted to kind of put some numbers to it because okay. there was – there is a lot of this, right? It's like, like the mile – and as runners, right, we do a lot of based around time mm-hmm. or mileage, right? And we yes. have an idea of what that specific volume will do for us. But because I'm spending so much time doing other things – I was trying to figure out like the best way to kind of make jumps with everything all across the board. And I start, I put in this uh, metric, just theoretical miles where I kind of took the time where it would take me to row 10 K a week Mm -hmm. or whatever. Badger miles for machines. Yeah. And then added miles from machines on it. That's mostly based on time. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, like a mile takes me whatever, seven and change. So rowing, 1500 meters or whatever is probably some sort of equivalent or 2k or whatever it is Mm -hmm. just to kind of put some sort of value to it because i think that's where it can be a little bit challenging with this it's like oh i'll just do because you're bound by how much running you can do so it's very important to track it so that you don't overdo it where if you just like oh and then i'm going to do other things on the the ski on the row on the bike, I feel like it can get lost, like how much you're actually doing. Yeah. Because you still want to progressively overload, even though it's aerobically, like it's still the way to to systematically improve. Mm-hmm. So putting some sort of metric onto the rowing, skiing, swimming, whatever you're doing, I think is also important because I think that's a place where we're at now is just doing more less systematically just because we can do more. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So we're going to probably dive straight into the weeds rather than right, like wade into the shallows because in theory, we should talk about what could all the different aerobic styles do and all of that. But we're already to the point of our minutes worth other minutes. Right. In right. Training. So you almost have to have a score. Like a way of looking at it might be how long does it take to do the same distance on every modality I have? And then weigh it out equally so that like if running a mile takes me seven minutes and swimming a mile takes me 32 minutes and biking a mile takes me three and a half minutes mm-hmm. and uh, a salt bike takes me four and a half minutes and ski erg takes me, you know, five seven, minutes, whatever, seven yeah. minutes. Yeah, seven is probably accurate. It's like, so sense. then you have to weigh everything out and you have to have like, it's like an old math equation, make it into a common denominator. And yeah, then, yeah. And, and then you, you have your values. Like a, a, a bike mile is worth 0.45 miles or whatever it's going to be. You would almost exactly. have to weigh it out like that. So because the, the classic way is total training time or mm. miles. And if we're not doing miles, we do time. But 10 hours is not 10 hours. We know that. 10 hours of biking is not 10 hours of running. And so doing eight hours of running and two hours of biking is not equivalent to 10 hours of running. So you right. almost would have to have right. like some sort of accreditation system for that. Did you come up with anything or did you not mostly, get that deep? Mostly what you're saying. Well, I, oh, I, you did. I, yeah, kind of. Like I took uh, the row. Let me see if I have it here. Yeah, I basically just took the row distance and then uh, broke it out like they were the t- how long it would take me to run that long. Running was still the anchor. It right? was the like the U.S. Stand, the standard that, dollar exactly. Yeah. So that's what I used, and every uh, however long I figured it would take to do all those things based off of what I know to be my efforts Mm -hmm. that I'm going to put forward on those. That is how I kind of figured out my total distance, quote unquote, my total volume of what I'm calling like 
theoretical miles. Okay. <laughs> so it's still miles. It's still like running stuff. Just that's just like what I speak. So that's a way for me to understand it better. So yeah, that's exactly what I did. I was like, okay, like it, the, the thing you just laid out, it's like if biking takes three and a half minutes, then seven minutes of it would be two miles and change, whatever. So that's where I was. Yep. Okay. And what did you find when you converted it out? Were you wasting miles some places? Like, were you getting junk miles? Like I thought I was doing a lot, but it was biking. So it didn't count as much. Whereas if I'd done it on the rower, I would have got more work for my buck, so to speak. Mm, like how so? Like if you added on, like I, I got an extra three hours of cardio this week, and then you look mm-hmm. back and realize, well, most of it was on the bike, and I actually that's less total cost of work than if I had done it on the skier and the rower. Did you see trends there where I could actually spend my hours more wisely, or I'm doing more or less work than I thought I was doing? So I actually use this to project. So I used my previous weeks, and then I was like, I want to increase X, Y, Z amount on the row on the ski, mm-hmm. and then I and then I project I projected it more than kind of looking back and, and like figuring out where there might be a hole. Uh, so it was a little bit more forward than um, than reflective. So I, you, so not necessarily. Did you find it useful for trying to project progressive overload? Oh yeah, a lot. And that's not because that's not really where I've spent a lot of time. Like I'm like generally like okay, here's a progression and here we go. But if I want to make like a like a bigger jump, mm-hmm. and like I have like I had like an allotted hours, right? Like here's where I want to be in my total volume, and then I kind of split it and broke it into each individual uh, domain, and then I kind of worked backwards on it. Okay, so picking up from there of the domains. I think Mm -hmm. this will be a pressing question for many people, which is, and I've asked many coaches about this on here. What's the hierarchy? If I can't run, you should then blank. If you can't blank, then you should blank. I have my own personal belief in cardiac benefit of the hierarchy versus mechanical benefit for ranking Mm -hmm. the hierarchy. Like you said, like a, a zero runner, which is like the extended range of motion elliptical would be way Mm -hmm. more mechanically beneficial to a runner than rowing but rowing you're going to drive a much better heart rate response and be able to build aerobically better on the rower so in terms of the list do you have a let's start with actually the classic which would be mechanically Mm -hmm. if you can't run in order to keep your stride sharp and keep the mechanics working what are the next best things in your opinion and we can kind of like bounce back and forth on these probably elliptical to start yeah honestly just the positioning is is the closest that you're going to get and so that's, that, that's my first draft pick. What's, what are you, you going to draft next? I think I'm going to take the cheating route and say aqua jogging. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's cheating because it's running, right? But like you're, it's not impact. Yeah. So have you found – when I was doing aqua jogging, yeah, this is back in college. I haven't done it since because it's terrible. Terrible. It, you are moving like a snail and you're in there for – and you can never – you can go for forever as long as you want. And it's almost better to not try to move. <laughs> Yeah, like so you're not counting laps. Just to try to move correctly rather than to gain distance. Because gaining distance, you end up gaming it and Mm, swimming a little bit with your hands or you know, paddle. It's it it clouds the water. I have no idea what my heart rate response would be in something like that. I've never wore a heart rate monitor while I'm jogging. But mechanically it would make the most sense, even though you get you don't get the impact, and I feel like that's a huge part of running efficiency is just being strong enough muscularly and being able to efficiently move through your running form and getting that like elastic response. Like I think that's a, the biggest part about yeah. running for volume. You don't get that there, but 
I think that that's fair. I do then, agree that an elliptical or a zero runner might even be better than aqua jogging if injury is not the concern. And maybe I'm programmed to say aqua jogging because of injury, because I believe running in shallows to reduce the impact, even all the way to like chest deep, is better for me as a runner than aqua jogging freely because so of that hitting the ground small little hefty having to push off mm. having to engage every little tendon and muscle on the bottom of your feet and push off you i think that's for that i generally wear shoes <laughs> which which kind and the last time i did it i wore reebok Super, all terrains the what is it what does a p-back p-ba foam do for you on the bottom of a pool uh flotation yeah for sure but but i think that the the, the elliptical is a good place to start because it still is no impact but you have to bear weight and mm-hmm. that does help soft tissue. Even just standing there helps you. With I've posture. seen people on mechanical, uh, on uh, ellipticals, move poorly even, which is weird to say. Like sometimes they start to kind of turn their toes in. So if knock, you, need. Yeah, yeah. They, they, there's still a way to kind of screw yourself up on those, even though you're only it, – it, it, the limita- it limits you how much you can actually move. But you, as yeah. long as you have to stay within those limits, like just keep your feet f- flat down. <laughs> like don't do anything else. But you can get – a really strong aerobic response on those things. You really can. And it, it's funny because I think, again, programmed, I think we're programmed to think a lot of things about cross training. Ellipticals, I think you're programmed to either think that you're injured, old, or a female. Right. Because that's right. what you see using ellipticals primarily in commercials, in gyms, and in any, any sort of performance setting. Yeah, that, that's those so are strange. the three mindsets. That's so strange. But you're you right, can though. get a heart rate response. And by that, we mean like, a response from your heart. You see like it rises up. When you work harder, your heart rate correlates to that. We're in the pool. It's, I, again, we haven't tracked it, but it feels like you're thrashing. The effort is just different, right? Like you crank up the resistance and, and like you move faster and harder on elliptical, you can feel it. In yeah. the pool, it's like- You have to sprint. You kind of have to sprint and then it's not not very sustainable. Yeah. Have you so used a zero too. runner? I have not. I have not used one of those. They, there's a learning curve. They're funky. The, are they the ones that kind of, that, that kind of like you like, can go back and forth, like, kind of like up like and down? Like a true elliptical, like there's an ellipsis to it. Mm. If I'm using that correctly, like there is a, yeah, you go down and out and down and back. You can control it a little bit more, right? Like it's not just straight back. Yeah, and your forth, legs like, cycle through rather than just like. Fip, 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 fip. Yes, I have been on one of these. I've never used it for an extended period, like while being while cross training. But I have not used for an extended period, but I've I've sampled them enough to know that there's a learning curve. But if you find your and they're very awkward, very yeah, weird. Yeah. But once you find how to use it for your stride, you suddenly can get some of those engagements, like hamstring engagement. You can feel mm. my weak point is hamstring glute insertion right there. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I can I can get to that point on there. And so there is some real-world mechanical benefit to using something like that. And those things just sit vacant at gyms. Probably because they feel funny. You get on them and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, no, <laughs> not for me. Yeah. A zero-G treadmill is cheating, right? It's completely cheating but completely the best. It's got to be the best. Yeah. Our guy Jack was using one for a little bit. But that's like you're literally running just with less. Right. So then you branch out of the the running mechanic. What's next? If we're talking about running, I'm probably going to take the bike next. Spin bike. Yeah. Spin bike for or road sure. Bike. Road bike if you're if you're skilled. Like I am not a skilled cyclist. So mm. when I get out onto the road, I, I don't move very well. So I can't move very fast or very hard. So I can't get the response needed. But mm. like a spin or a Concept 2 uh, fan bike, those okay. work really well in terms of just like being able to like 
change your response based off of your effort where we talk about the assault bike, it's hard to kind of find that middle zone two, zone yes. three sustainable pace just because it's, it's such a full body output. Hard. Yes, it, for the most part, unless you're on it all of the time and you're just efficient throughout your entire body on that thing. But you just mm. use so much <laughs> like in the muscular demands are very high that uh, that usually – you're gonna be you're gonna blow yourself up on that. So a spin bike or a C two bike, I think, are would be the next best. Just well, an air resistance of is an exponential curve, and so mm-hmm. even if right. you are skilled, it is difficult because the resistance ramps up so drastically. So it's it's such a steep rise to it that you have to be very skilled and maybe have a weaker bike like a Schwinn Airdyne in order to hit that middle ground because it's 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 such a small window before the curve shoots upwards of air resistance. <laughs> or you're super strong. Right. Super or, or you're just strong. a monster. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I would go right to biking as well because you can even, you can stand up in the saddle, you can position it so that you lean forward, you can drive your quads down rather than pulling up the whole time. But even pulling up, like being clipped in can be really beneficial to runners to mm-hmm. force them to use their rear chain. Mm-hmm. So I think that biking as well is very beneficial to a runner. That's yeah, that's probably where where I would where I'd be next. Positionally it's a little bit closer than these other implements that we're gonna talk about. So and uh and we're so you mentioned thinking that bike my bike time isn't the same is that because of the impact that you're taking on or, or why why would you say that? Yeah, you, yeah. one, you're not hitting the ground and two, you're not fighting gravity. Mm. Like you never have to raise off the ground really. Is there a, a metric that you would put on bikes to miles, bike time to, to I, running time? What I use generally is is your seat resistance. Like how much time can you even handle sitting for? For sure. That's, for sure. The, that's the big limiter. Because cardiovascularly, you can bike easy for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's like, how long can you sit on your seat for mm. before you've already blown out your ability to use it again tomorrow? Mm. Like day two and three are tough. So, and it's also, like you said, it's a skill thing. Early on, your quads fill up really quickly if you try to do quality work and you just, you, you're, you're working hard or you're working easy. I think the middle ground disappears on a spin bike early on as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's fair. But no, I don't, I don't have, I had heard three to one at one point and I didn't love it. I couldn't pick it apart, but that like three miles of biking was worth one mile of running. I, I just, no. I couldn't get behind that, but it's not any worse than anything else. It's just like, that just sounds like something that's like rule of thumb. You're like, meh, I don't know. Yeah. Without, yeah. without knowing like the main thing, and, and I was kind of saving this for ski and row and everything like that, but we're kind of getting there is, and if you want to be zone based, which I think like heart rate zone based outside of like, instead of like RPE is where you can kind of get a little bit confused because your heart rate zones are going to change based off of whatever you're doing, you know? So like your zone two on a run is going to be different than your zone two on a bike or on a skier or on a rower. And that's another thing to really kind of keep in mind here is like, can you get to that place where you need to go on these machines because you either are or are not efficient enough or strong enough to to sit there for enough time yeah you know so so that's like the that's like the i think that's the the elephant in the room here is like i can't row for very long for what would be sustainable for zone two mm-hmm. so like how can i get that response the same way that it would get on yeah. the run and so if we're to the point where we're just discussing how do i build easy work in aerobic work Zone one, zone two, we're kind of capping it there. I think that there's no wrong way. I think you choose either the machine that's available to you or that, like you said, you can stay on the longest. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you have to chain things together. Early mm-hmm. on, I did a lot of five-minute row, five-minute assault bike, 
five-minute hike and just keep going, keep going. If you keep your transitions quick, you can keep your heart rate up. You can keep sweating and keep working the whole time. And I think it is important to note that heart rate response cannot be the same on all the machines without equal skill and equal gravity and impact. It can't be, but it doesn't change the fact that systemically you're getting the equivalent work of what your heart rate would normally say. So like if you're, let's say your lactate threshold is 166 and on the bike, you can only get to 148 before you feel the exact same thing. Well, chances are you're doing the same thing internally. Yeah. Like swimmers are doing VO2 max workouts, but it doesn't change. Like their heart rate might be lower than it would have been running. Oh, for sure. But they're still doing VO2 max workouts. So we don't have to be a slave to our heart rate zones on it. We have to reduce or just reassess what our zones are for non-impact. So it doesn't mean, and I know you're not saying this, but for the listeners, we're not saying that because you can't get the heart rate response that you're not working anaerobically or aerobically. It's just that you can't trust the same heart rate feel. And sometimes you will just burn out early before you get long enough in to do anything good. Most likely, unless you're like really doing these machines often. But that is like, or you tested it, (laughs) or you have an idea of where your bike zones are. Have, do you ever prescribe like the functional the threshold heart rate? Yeah. For, to... for, for non-impact cardio people, I don't unless they are all in on it. Yes. That's like unless point. they're facing six, eight, 12 weeks of doing this or wanting, choosing to do that, that's the only time I will. Or like unless if they're crazy dabbling about metrics. in duathlon or yeah, crazy about metrics or doing whatever it is. Otherwise, no, it's entirely... RPE, which is difficult, but it's a learnable piece on those machines. Right. And like we said, like most likely your legs are going to fill up before you're going to get to the spot where you need to. Yes. And RPE is going to be what you need to lean on anyway. Yeah. But that, so like that test, from what I understand, it's like you warm up, you know, whatever, 10, 15 minutes, get your aerobic mm-hmm. system on. Then it's 20 minute test, five minute increments of increasing your RPE. Mm-hmm. And then you take your average heart rate by the last 10 of it or five of it? It's the last 30%, I think. Last roughly. 30% of it? Yeah. It may not be exact, but it's roughly the last third. Something like that. Like yeah. where you are at the end of the workout is probably where your, your like threshold heart rate is going to be. And it's a brutal test. It sucks. Yeah. Any sort of ramp test sucks. Mm-hmm. But so to answer the previous question, I think the, the trick is when you're new to it is you have to switch. You have to switch machines. Have to constantly in order, you have to get a stop before you fill up. So like for me early on, 500 meters was the top that I could row at any sort of like trying to get aerobic threshold equivalent effort. 500 to 1,000 meters was as far as I'd go. And then it was like something mechanically, like muscularly is going to start to really fatigue. And I've got to just go do something else. Mm -hmm. So that's, Mm -hmm. I think early on, that's, that's the route you take to keep building my engine without feeling like I'm failing. And this is something, this is one of the, workouts I probably prescribe the most is like mixed modality machines up like usually. So just an example would be like whatever, 60, 70 minute AMRAP, thousand meter row, thousand meter ski, 60 to 75 cals on an assault bike. Right. Mm -hmm. And that amount of duration is enough that you can kind of be in that zone too, because it's so easy to just really let it like if you're just going to do 10K straight of a row, yeah, you probably end up going really slow. And what you feel like is your easy RPE is – it is your easy RPE, but you're not hitting the response that you want because you don't have the volume and efficiency on that machine to sustain 50 minutes of straight row. But mm-hmm. 
six minutes at a time, you can kind of be in that spot that makes that makes that work be more in that zone two area. Yeah. And likewise, this can be tacked on to the end of runs. Like oh, yeah. I can run 40 to 60 minutes a day, but I'd like to hit an hour to 80 minutes a day. You finish off with suddenly just three, you know, one round of three machines and you're done. It's great. You've, you've checked that box and you moved on. So, I mean, I think this, unless you have more you want to say about how to start introducing it, I think that I'd like to chat about muscularly now, still at that easy range, what machines make the most sense. What would you hold on. What would you pick the skier skier or what's the next thing after the bike? We didn't finish it all the way up. I do believe in the rower. But mm. heart rate response I mean just aerobic aerobic work for a runner. Either rower or um power hiking, either uphill or like against a sled or a tire. Yeah, if yeah, I like that. But we're starting to get into the area where a runner will not think that they're a runner. Mm. Like this is how you train for a tough motor, bro, or crossfit. Right, right, right. right? It's starting. You dragon, do run into that. Tire, yeah. I think you have to use a gateway drug early on as a runner to even believe that this could work. I'm just going to use elliptical and spin bike because I know runners use this. And right. then after a while, you start glancing over at that rower. Like I could probably give that a go. Mm-hmm. So I almost don't go much past the first few. It's what's tolerable to you early. Because after you get away from the mechanical, the mechanically beneficial pieces, you're splitting hairs on what's best. At that point, it's like, go do what you can do the longest and you enjoy. Or which one faces the TV? (laughs) This is, that's a fair, that's a, that's a fair cop-out. It's a cop-out that works. Well, John Albin the other day in his recap of his CCC win at UTMB weekend, he talked about... That for the first time ever, he picked up a set of headphones from an aid station and threw them on. And this was like four hours into the race, five hours into the race. And he was at a low point. And he said they were so Put them on during the race. nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, some of the bone conducting, some shocks. Yeah, yeah. And he said, I've never done this before, but it's allowable in at UTMB to wear headphones. And you saw people out there with it. Some people started with them. And he said it was so nice. He said, I don't even know what playlist, like I didn't have a special playlist chosen. It was just, I couldn't hear my breathing anymore. Huh. He said, and it's so important in an ultra distance to to not read too far into your breathing because you sound tired. Like it's hard getting up this mountain, but you know you're not supposed to be working hard and you sound tired and it gets to you. And I think mm. there's some truth to that. Running workouts alone, hard workouts, like I get this into my 5K time trials every time like five minutes in and I feel like I'm, I'm breathing way too hard. And then it, it starts to make you feel tired. And he addressed that. He's like, I started to feel tired because my breathing sound was just echoing in my ears. But I threw on the headphones and I couldn't hear myself breathing and my RPE just dropped. Huh. And I think that holds true with machines too. Sometimes yeah. we just can't think about them. When I'm on a spin bike and I just sit here, all I can think about is how uncomfortable I am. <laughs> but if I can distract myself with a screen, then I can I can probably make it 50% longer minimum on a bike just by I, having a screen in front of me. Even like a treadmill. This time of year, it's starting sure. to be almost treadmill season. Having something there, it's it's you still get the response, right? Like there's times to be mentally tough in training and to practice that. Yeah. But it's not every day. Right. All right. So then, where to next? So, I, I want to talk muscularly now. Mm. Like, we don't care about the mechanics of running anymore. We know we're going to pump our blood either way. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're breathing above our normal respiration rate, we're doing something good aerobically. And you can get to that on anything. You and I could stand here and do like just sit in our seat and pump our arms, like, and eventually yeah, boxing, our heart rate's going to raise. Yeah, right. shadow boxing. Like, it's all going to raise your heart rate. It's whatever you can do the longest. But if all of that doesn't matter now, now let's think about 
which runners will, will this help my running muscles? Right. Like, okay. The chain I'm going to use, not even in the order necessarily, because we talked about that with like the, the structural act of the elliptical or the zero runner. Like that's, you're upright, you have your forward lean, you can do all that. That's good. But the actual muscles that are required. So you got to have your quads involved. You got to have some calf and hamstring to some extent. And then moving the arms would be nice. You know, the runners will look at that and say, is there some muscular carryover to all this work I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Where do you start with that? Or do you not think about that as much? I think it's tied together a little bit just on the efficiency piece of things. Like that's, that's what I've been saying when talking about efficiency is just like how your mus musculature is going to get taxed and how little work it can do while it is uh, consistently worked over time. Uh, so I would say probably the same, probably the elliptical. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, there or... I don't know. What would you say? What's your what's your first pick? Second. Well, pick. I have a feeling about this. So it was kind of a trick question, and I like your answer because I don't care on easy days. Mm. I really don't. I think that in this scenario, we're not talking injury. We're talking adding in extra, and so if we're already running, I don't really care. I think it's oh right. This is this is this is not this is not the injury. This is right cross. But, but you answered that the way I was thinking, which is ah, you know it's kind of all tied together. I, right. It wouldn't be the first thing I think about. And that's a worry that runners have is, will this really carry over to my running? Like I'm not using whatever, or I'm in skiing, I'm using my arms way more than I'd ever have to. Does it matter? And my answer is generally, if we're just looking to add volume, no, I don't think it does matter because we care about systems right now. Should it almost be like antagonistic then? Should it be something more like the rower or the ski where you're not just working the same exact musculature that you would be while running? where it can kind of build a little bit more resilience, a little bit more strength in other places? I think there's more merit to the argument that the movement should be antagonistic than there's merit to the idea that if I'm adding in more aerobic cardio, it should try to mimic running. Right. I truly believe that. Yeah, I think- Heart I think rate response, one. Mm -hmm. Antagonistic might be two. No, palatability, one. Palatability, palatability is one. Yeah. Palatability <laughs> it's all, it's one. one through five, right. Can you do it? That's it. If you not, can do it's it, a non-starter. Right. And figuring out ways to do it. But that's where something like a row or a ski could be mm -hmm. interesting because they are kind of standalone machines that have their own metrics. So yeah. – and there, there's also progress that you can see. Like doing an elliptical, like are you ever going to get – like I'm sure you'll get better. But like what does it mean? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like work – you're probably not working toward anything. That to me would get more into like the junk miles, the junk cardio uh, category. But if you sit on the row, sit on the ski, you'll see – progress as you go and there's things you can work on on the ski and row like with like form and different like breathing patterns that can make it a bit more of a project which i yeah. think endurance athletes can like sometimes we can get lost in any pursuit of improvement for sure and you'll see that more on these concept two type of machines that have yeah, like and those, metrics the ergs are are made for data mm -hmm. elliptical is made to watch tv or listen to an audiobook right throw a magazine on there yeah yeah you don't see a book holder on an nerd because you're supposed to be watching the display to keep track. And they, they can show your power curve and they can show your strokes per minute and your wattage or your calories or your pace. Like you can you can have so many metrics to, to look at that it really is how we're wired as runners to care about those things. And that's For sustainability sure. right there. Agree. I totally agree. So I think that that would be an interesting place to go and just not being in that same 
yeah. box over and over and over and over. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's – is there anything about building aerobically that we haven't touched upon? Mm, I, I suppose where, – where does it end? How much is enough? What, when Because when we're starting to dabble into these things that you can do mm-hmm. an exponential more amount and if you have exponential time on your hands, <laughs> right? like w- when when have you capped out what you can do aerobically like within a block or whatever? Well, I mean I'm going to be a bad host here and answer gonna never. With, well, I'm going to say that I don't care because your mm. time is going to limit it. No one has – very few people have exponential time. Like there is a limit I'm sure but I care more about where you start. So that's the hardest part for people is they would just like walk into a room and be like, we've covered what machines should you look to and how do you approach it? But it's where do we even start? And I think you start by adding chunks of manageable time, which usually is 20 to 30 minutes of work in my eyes. Almost anyone can squeeze 20 minutes of work in somewhere. And if you can't, you start with a little less and you choose a more demanding machine. Like go hop on the rower of like three by five minutes. The Versa climber or something. Yeah. Versa climber. Sure. It's going to do a whole lot more for you than hopping on a spin bike for 15 minutes. Mm. But mm. starting with the like the lowest manageable and palatable amount of time is usually 20 to 30 minute blocks. And you add those in as frequently as you can handle early on. And then just like running volume, I would start to progress those. Add five to 10 minutes. One day I'm feeling good on the erg. I'm just going to go until I stop feeling good. Because you're not working hard, you're not going to leave yourself depleted for the next day, assuming you're not like thrashing yourself on the rower and then you have a, a, a muscle group that's not been worked in 30 years and now it barks at you. Right. Or like you just dip into your energy stores way too much. You sleep poorly. You overdid it. It's just not mm-hmm. like because you can, like you, that doesn't mean you should, especially up front. But we talked about time domains. Kirk and I, someone asked about how much should I be doing more. We're always like, we're going to give you such a wishy-washy answer. But at the end, I said, all right, I'm just going to finally say something definite. Like, you need to be able to, if you take your training at all seriously and you want to be at all decent, you got to have five to seven hours of running or cardio per week. And if you want to be competitive, you got to have seven to nine. And if you really, really, really want to be good, you got to be in that nine to 12 hour range. Like the, that's your range to buy into. Anything above mm. that is pro-level dedication. Mm-hmm. But those are my three zones. And so I look at these are your ceilings. If you can run three hours a week right now, and I told you the entry level to truly training is five to seven hours of cardio a week, then that's what you shoot for. You shoot to mm. get to five. And okay. then by the end of the block, if you can get to seven, you can look back and say, I dedicated an entire week's worth of volume every week. That's great. And that I've done more than what I had previously done. I think that's one of the biggest things about Tangibly training in more. general. Right. Is like seeing like, oh, I started someplace and now I'm here. I'm yeah. going to be better off to, you know, to a certain ex- extent for my my uh, my event or whatever I'm preparing for. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So anyways, I would say to the a the open runner, five to seven hours build up to that total age group, seven to nine elite that nine to 12 hour of we're talking running hours or cardio hours. And then anything above that is like world level training. Mm. How do you feel about those zones? I think that's fair. I think that's fair for for the, the common person for the running time. And if you're going to take out what you can do physically and then supplement with what we've been talking about, it gives you room. I think that's important too is to have room to build because yes. of the the idea of progressive overload. Like if you just max to start, like where are you going to go? Like how are you going to 
to measure improvement yeah. or measure progress in training. So I think that's fair. I think that, I th- that that makes sense. I think that points that point is important because way at the beginning you I said something like I think you can copy the pros training. You just fill it in with non-impact. But the real answer to that is you still have to build to it like the pro built to it. Mm-hmm. They didn't roll out of bed going 100 mile weeks, so we can't roll out of bed going 12 hours of cardio per week. Mm-hmm. But we can start with a progression to get us there knowing that it's safe to do it on a machine while still hitting your 30 miles a week. And you want to build that to 40 and 50 over time. Maybe that's your goal. So you're scaling up with your cardio to get to the hundred mile equivalent. You're not just saying, all right, pros do hundred miles per week. I'm doing 12 to 15 hours of cardio week one, and I'll let my running fill it over the next few years. No, you, you still start at, I'm at five to seven. Now I bump up to seven to nine. From there, I bump up to 9 to 12. You still have to scale it with progressive overload, not just all at one tsunami overload. Right. And that's, I think, where then with working with machines for progression, I think you could probably be a little bit more aggressive than what you would need. You would be yes. just running alone where it's like that. Do you buy by the 10%? I don't. Per, no. That's not your jam. I I don't have anything against it, but I don't like any one size fits all. Right, rule. it's a rule of thumb. It's it, like you can't you want really it, go it's wrong safe. with it. Right, it's safe. That's the thing with it. The only time I see people get wrong with it is when they just follow it indefinitely. <laughs> and we don't that's, do deloads. Yes, right. That's that's the caveat there. It's like it's safe until you are at ninety, and then right. you, then it, then you've gone too then far. Ninety nine. Right. Right. You know, that next week, that's what I that's what I can do, and I it's rare you hear it, but I sometimes get on a consult and I heard, you know, I started at thirty miles per week and I'm I'm injured, but listen, I follow the ten percent rule, so I, we can rule that out. I'm like, well, t- tell me about it, how that looked. I'm like, well, I just added ten percent every week until I felt I was at a volume I was good at, and then I every couple of weeks I added ten percent more. Yeah, right. It's like, you know, that's it's a good rule until it's not. Yeah, that's fair. I think if like you're looking to build initially, yeah. it's a good place to be which is adding 10% of your mileage to your previous week's mileage. With the ergs, ellipticals, all that and being time-based, you could probably make pretty substantial jumps. Yeah. But again, as long as you're going to be bound by your time somewhere. Yeah. I think you'd be a little bit more aggressive. And I find that like your your, your joints play more into it, like hinge points. So when Mm. I first started on the assault bike, doing arm-only assault bike after my knee surgery. I was limited by my elbows and shoulders very quickly. They just start to ache. There's only so long you can push and pull on an arm-only assault bike until it's just not feeling right. And so I'd stop. But within like two weeks, I went from being able to do 30 minutes of work to 70 minutes of work. You did 70 arm, seventy minutes of arms-only assault bike? Yeah, and I would do interval style. So okay. I would like go 30 push, 30 pull, emphasis. Oh, and then I'd gotcha. go underhand grip and then like 60 push, 60 pull, and then wide grip. I gamified it. But yes, yeah, so I, I went through the uh, – I watched the Last Dance documentary. I was going to say, you probably crushed something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, el- but uh, I'm glad you did mention elbows. I found that with the ergs as well. Rowan like it's almost sure. like a tennis elbow-y yeah. feel, like achy, like really like – oh, and then it, it comes – it comes – it hits pretty hard. I've had this happen at least twice where – I've had to completely back off the machines because I've gotten to the point where it's like I don't need I don't need this to linger any longer than it is and, and bleeding over into other parts of training. Yeah, and they recover well until you tip, like mm-hmm. anything else, really, right? But like at first sign of your elbow or wrist or shoulder aching on the on the ergs for sure. When we say ergs, we mean uh, rower or ski erg. Mm. Um, that's when I call it for the day. I'm right mm-hmm. to something else, and I get it in my wrist. My right wrist has like this 
thing it did. I, it happened one day I was in a pool throwing one of our kids in the air and it felt like I dislocated my wrist partially. There was no pain, but suddenly I felt like, well, that's weird. Like I felt a movement in there. And mm. I was like pushing on this in between joints. Like this feels like there's more space than usual. I wanted to like <laughs> push on my palms and force it back together. And ever since that day, from time to time, I get something weird with my wrist. Huh. Like there's you nothing. Think it's from machines? No, no, no. But I feel it on machines from like oh, rowing. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I'll get it on rowing one day. My wrist will start to ache in that same exact spot. And so anyway, like first sign of that, I just switched to assault bike. Now I'm pushing. So mm. I balance out the push and pull as well. We, we talked, you and I talked about should we think about hamstring, rear chain, front chain? Like how should we think about this with machines? The only way I think about it is balancing out push and pull for aerobic work. Okay. Yeah. So that I am not rowing significantly more than I'm like skier or, mm. or assault biking because I will just have an overuse joint injury. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. And that's where it's nice to have uh, the bike with the clips because you can get some yes. push pull. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think legs are less less of a worrying factor because you use them so much running and walking and standing and throughout walking, your day. It's arms, right? Really. It's elbow and shoulder for the most part, mostly elbow. That's what I found. Elbow for me anyway. So yeah, 10% rule I think does not apply to machines. But again, mm. you can't really go wrong with it if you're logical about it. Yeah, it's it's a jump that you almost don't even notice. Yeah, you know? yeah it's like indoor spin bike. Week one, I'm struggling to make an hour because my butt hurts. Mm-hmm. And then week two, maybe you can make it 90 minutes. But that's not a 10% rule. But right. Or maybe week two, you can't walk. Right. So then quality. I think this is really the crux of it, right? Because everyone can just kind of wrap their mind around. If we're trying to improve red blood cell count, oxygen transport, mitochondria, you know, um, capillary bed density, things like that, we understand that our heart doesn't recognize modalities. Mm -hmm. It just knows work. I'm going to pump in response to whatever you're doing, and that pumping action is going to drive systemic change in your body. So yeah, aerobic works, aerobic work. I think we grasp that, that if you add in four more hours of aerobic work, you will continue to build things out. But the big, I think the bread and butter, like the, the, is bread and butter? I don't even know. Like the the sweet spot. Meat and potatoes. Not savory. Oh, sweet. A lot of any sort of menu based phrase here. The crux of it comes from anaerobic work. Hmm. I think that's where people see the biggest return on their investment from triathletes to the hybrid athletes. And it's what I've seen the most benefit for myself and athletes I work with is that since dabbling in the hybrid game, I now have found a quicker way to get myself fit as a runner without getting injured or a way to sustain a training block without getting injured. Delving into the anaerobic side of this was really eye-opening because every at the high school level, you know, my ankle hurts. All right, go hop on the bike today. Mm-hmm. We get that. But very few people were like, you know what we should do? You can only handle one quality workout a day. Let's pick a machine and let's go hit some threshold work. That's mm-hmm. not what you were told ever. But I think that's where a lot of the so-called magic lies in in cardio being not running based. And this is this is mostly because of how damaging threshold type work will be to your muscular system running alone. That like systemically, you probably can handle more than what you're able to put out mm-hmm. on the roads or on the track. That you're 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 not quite tapping into. But if you get on those machines, no impact. You, you and you can still handle yeah. more work and get that type of lactic response or whatever we're talking about. Yeah, because what what do people reach for when they want to improve in a race? 
they generally reach for a spicy session. Mm-hmm. I, I need to get faster. I need to get tougher. I need more endurance. They reach for a big quality session. But when you can't run 100 mile weeks or you can't run whatever volume the pros run, you can't handle more sessions for very long. Early on, right. yeah. And you get quicker. And then it doesn't for, end well. For a short amount of time. Right. Yeah. But with the non-impact, I think that you have options on the table in front of you that you can reach for with consistency. And when I talk like train like the pros with non-impact, all the rage in the world right now is double, triple, quadruple, like uh, as many all-you-can-eat threshold sessions. But the average person cannot do that because they can't handle – like how how much time do you have to spend running at threshold to get like a really good workout in? Minimum. Uh, 15 minutes maybe? Yeah. I would say – and I probably would have said 15 to 20. Yeah. It's somewhere – but depending on how new you are to it, it might be 15. It could be even like 12 for some people. Yeah, like like five by three minutes is something. Three by five minutes is something. It is something, yeah. Yeah. That's good. But the classic threshold is 30 30 to 40 minutes spent working. Right. That's just demanding. To add another session of that, that is a demanding workout structurally, Mm -hmm. muscularly. Like soft tissue takes a beating on that. And so even if your engine and heart could handle it, you're just not a good enough runner to handle that. I'm not a good enough runner to add a whole nother threshold work. But what if you could add it without any of those drawbacks? That's that's what we found in hybrid. Getting on an assault bike, I never would have done as a college track athlete. Right. Getting on the ergs, you never would have. What did you run for the mile in high school? Uh, 414. 414, two mile. Uh, 933. Okay. So this is a guy that was a legit runner and then went to college D1 to run. And now we're sitting here talking about machines. It's not like we're some CrossFit bros who found <laughs> running. <laughs> yeah, right, we right. started as runners, branched out, and are coming back to it. Just to make that very clear, you're a 414 right. high school miler. Right. That came first. I see. For sure. And all the yeah. way out through it. And like, yeah, finding this now has been certainly eye-opening with that. I guess it's like now it's like how how much – Right, mm-hmm. this is where I've dabbled with this as well because it's like, wow, it's like I could do a lot. It's like let's let's see, let's see what we can do here. So to start with, the average runner, let's say a let, let's take my wife in terms of volume, okay. forty miles a week every week, whether she needs it or not. Nice. Her Strava is just a line of forty mile weeks. <laughs> so let's say forty miles is an average dedicated runner, maybe above average, but it's pretty good. Very dedicated. Legit. Yeah, for sure. So maybe we'll scale it down. Let's say a 30-mile-a-week runner hitting two quality sessions. Mm. Maybe one of them's a long run. They want to start adding in quality work, anaerobic work on a machine in order to drive their engine growth. Where do we start? For for me, uh, well, I think the elliptical is still a viable option. Okay. Actually, let, let me rephrase. Let's put machines aside. How do we start? What is the structure? Where do we put it in? Duration, like how, how do we first start adding in more quality? We'll pick a machine afterwards. I think there's there could be a couple schools of thought here. Mm-hmm. Like we, you've mentioned, like the, the double the double threshold type of idea is stacking quality sessions, and this is I think this is a great option for people who can have the time to separate their mm-hmm. quality sessions within one day because it can maximize. Uh, recovery on the on the opposite days yes however i feel like the these type of quality sessions on machines are not going to leave you as crushed as you might think from your experience as a runner so i think you can do them in successive days i think so too i don't know where (laughs) I, i haven't explored out past like two days in a row and i'd probably draw the line there just to give some sort of reprieve more mentally even i think we get to the point where it is like 
how often can you really take it to the well, even like yeah. halfway that you need this, this break, just kind of like regroup and, and, and figure out how you're feeling physically. Yeah. So I would say either stack on the same day or back to back days, adding, I guess, two more quality sessions a week. Yeah. I like that. I think the third option is if you are only a two quality week runner, adding a third in between. Mm. But I think most people move up to three already before they start seeking more. Like I think Kirk and I are one of the rare exceptions that our normal like peak volume running has two quality sessions per week. We've just found that we're <laughs> less likely to get burnt out or hurt doing that. Three, three unless, and if you're adding a third as a runner, like the third is probably going to have to be more mechanical is where I would kind of lean. Or count you know, the long run as quality. Or count the long run as quality. Add some in there too. And then it's, yeah. then, yeah, that's. But okay. so if you're already doing three, it has to be either as a double or on the following day. But if you're only doing two, you can, like if you're a, a Wednesday, Saturday person, you can fit it in on a Monday. But this yeah. is where I do start to yeah. look at what muscle group am I using? If I, let's say, for example, I'm doing a normal run. Let's just say our most, we always talk about thousands on here, our three minute intervals. Say I'm going 10 by three minutes on Tuesday. Wednesday, I can do a machine quality but it's not going to be the rower. It's going to be something that contains arms for me because the okay. rower and running work hits my same weak area, which is hamstring glute insertion. Like, in, like insertion point for yeah. sure. And so I can't stress those on back-to-back -back days, even though my engine could handle another 20 minutes of quality work. And so that is skier or it's a salt bike for me, but I cannot okay. use the same group that I know to be susceptible to any sort of issue. Sometimes I can't even use my quads two days in a row. Like I can't go spin bike and hill work back to back days because I can't get anything out of the, the workout the next day. So that's and, when and I go feeling, antagonistic. What is that feeling for you then that you know, like, Hey, this isn't benefiting me. Is it pain or is it just like pop or like, what is it? Like, where are you limited that you know, this isn't working because I avoid the pain. It's all about pop. It's just like, I, I have no power. I can't put, like I, on the spin bike, I just have to keep lowering the resistance or on the rower. I'm feeling all this, but instead of rowing 148s, I'm rowing 155s and going only South. Like it's not getting any better. And I know systemically I should be getting the same help inside, but I have to like this. And so I'm not going to sit there and row a worse metric and see it get worse each rep. Even if I was taking a blood uh, lactate reader meeting, uh, <laughs> reading on my finger each rep and said, hey, we're still hit. We're still in the, at the millimole we want to be. It's not fun. And it doesn't have to be fun, but it can't be depressing every time. And so I stay away from depressing workouts because if you're doing more of them, you can't handle extra stress, extra workouts, and be depressed. Right. <laughs> right. And so you might know too much. Right. Like where others were like, they're on a row or they might not know the metrics they're on uh, an assault bike or might not know really where they are, that the RPE will still give them that same response that we're looking to get. But on your end, it's like, I don't want to feel that this is, that I'm getting worse. Yeah. Although I still feel like those, those two there, assault bike and rower, you just, it's a universal knowledge when you're out of power. And it's just, <laughs> it's a, it's a helpless feeling on the assault bike when I just can't push this thing. And you feel I'm going slow and I have no power. So for me, I guess, yeah, it's a power meter thing. I just feel like I'm zapped. Got it. But okay. I could go do 30-30 on skier. Sure. Because mm -hmm. I, I don't experience experience things that way um, no. when it comes to like the back-to-back -back sessions. I don't know if it's just that I'm okay with some sort of range on these machines and I'm not 
as dialed in as I would be on running where I know it's like, oh my God, my running last week was this pace and uh, I must be tired because now it's here and it feels like the same. Like that is definitely depressing. I don't have that same feeling on the ergs. Where I'm okay. Saying. Well, maybe we should talk ranges that we're using then, like dive straight into the weeds again. In my running right now, I am staying on the low end of threshold. So if for myself, my threshold range, like if you truly were in a lab being tested, it's anywhere from 10K all the way up to probably 15 or 17K of pacing. I'm running like right around half marathon pace on threshold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm at the very slowest end of what's beneficial to me. Very slowest end. So I use my machines to go on the faster end of threshold. Mm, And so I'm always at or slightly above threshold on the rower because it drives more of the fitness benefit for me. So maybe it's because I'm riding a finer edge there. And if I can't do it, it's like, well, I already worked sub threshold yesterday. I don't want to work sub threshold on the rower today. You might be going a bit sharper on your runs in a bit more true threshold on your machines. I I think that that's fair. I was on, when I was doing threshold work on machines trying to be at that higher output range it turned into more suffering than i wanted it to be <laughs> like often yeah. and i was just like i don't think i need to be feeling like this all the time so i i think i did kind of pull back into more uh like sustainability longer uh rowing type intervals that are like probably on that slower end of the threshold that makes sense i basically don't row past a thousand meters Unless I'm doing a, like a 2K or a 4K or a 5K tempo. I've been doing like 5K at like 2K plus 15, right? And it's like, so you start your okay, you're like halfway through, you're grinding. So it's more like that, that half marathon type. No, no, like it's it's miserable to a point, but it's not because it's not taking it there. Okay. The way I don't that have, way it sounds like you are. I don't have the skill and mechanical efficiency on there to go real long before a breakdown. Mm-hmm, right. But I'm right. like, I, I may not be here for a long time, but I'm here for a good time. That's how I look at those machines. Like I can work for 500 to a thousand fine without form breakdown, but then I've got to get off and rest and do it again. So the only option with that is to do a million reps or kick it up one notch of intensity. And because I'm doing very little true running intensity, because I'm responding still to like half marathon and marathon pace work as a runner. I'm going to milk that as long as humanly possible. I'm getting my intensity from the assault bike and the rower and the skier. So I like, like skier, just, just... I barely go slower than VO2 max pace, but I do short intervals, 60, 30 to 60 seconds. Right. And I was just going to say that that's a great place to find your kind of like high end threshold work on this is those short intervals with short rest. Mm-hmm. And it, you can do yeah, 10, 12 by one minute with 30 seconds rest or something like that. Yeah. You'll be working and be able and be able to put out power. I live on 30 thirties and 60 thirties on the skier. Mm-hmm. Anything longer than that, I'm going to run into form issues. Anything shorter than that, you have to just sprint and I don't want to do that, but that's my sweet spot of put that's, out some power, get my heart rate up, but don't take a lot of rest. That's the thing on the skier where the rower too, where I'm like starting to like, okay, let's do 30 seconds. And then my, my strokes per minute are like close to 50 on the skier. I'm like, this is not my, this is not my typical form. Like, yeah. This is not making me more powerful. This is doing nothing. Just, I'm just turning it over faster, which is just yeah. like not specific to anything. So anyway, back to anyway. how would I start? I like to start with either doubles or finishers. I don't like to initially add in an in-between or a back-to-back because again, my whole lens right now is injury prevention. It's like, if I'm going to work, let's work and let's really recover. So I find a lot of benefit from finishing my interval session and hopping on and doing a one or two K row threshold, just adding an extra five to 10 minutes 
a threshold work to the day. It's great. And I can finish that and then go add in another like 30, 30 by six on the assault bike. And now I've just added 15 more minutes of work to my total workout. I'm not needing any extra recovery because I didn't take an ounce of impact, but it's extended my workout from a 30 minute threshold session to like a 45. And now I'm into the range of what a pro might do. So you're not, you're not adding a session. You're initially, just adding reps to the session. Yeah. Initially I'm either doing that or I'm doing a PM session. I love the PM sessions on the machines because no, it is great. such low buy-in. I'm warmed up and going in like four to six minutes. <laughs> right. And it can be shorter, right? It's like you just like I, I walk agree. into the, the PM, basement. PM erg is nice. In four to six minutes later, I'm starting rep one. Mm, right. I can right, be done in running. 12 to 20 minutes total by it. And it's, it's good work. Yeah. And it's good work. So that's where I start. I okay. don't start with the back-to-back as often. What I find myself doing, again, with myself, with others, sometimes I'll program it, but I go so by feel with myself now post-surgery just to relearn what my rules are. I'll do the back-to-back sessions when I wake up feeling good. Like when I wake up and don't feel achy, it's like, all right, I underplayed it yesterday. I'm hopping, I'm doing... Six by five minutes on the rower. So those are two sessions. And then I reshuffle the rest of my week to accommodate. But no, I don't start with adding a new day. I start with getting more work on the same quality session. Yeah. And I think that that's safe. Uh, just so you can have a day where a day or two for sure, where it can bring things down, make sure that you're recovering well, because if you start to get into that, because then you can start getting into gray zone pretty quick, right? If you're yeah. just loading frequency of this type of stuff, training, you can, you can definitely get gray just based off of fatigue. Yeah. Jakob Ingebrigtsen was asked, and Kirk said this on here a while back, but he was asked why he does so much training in super shoes. He'll, he'll wear his vapors for all of his interval work. And you're like, why do you do that? He's like, the goal is to run as fast as possible, as often as possible. These let right. me. And I think that that's a really simple way of looking at training, which is we need to work as well as possible, as often as possible. And our limiting factor is how quick can we recover? But with the two-day-a-week versus the three-day-a-week cycle, most people are caught kind of in the lurch. Like, I could be ready for a third session, but I'm not quite, and I couldn't sustain that for long. Like, this week I could, maybe next week I can't. Or I'm fully ready by, like, day two and a half, but I got to wait a whole other day before my next workout because I already worked out easy today. It's like, you're a little in between. I could probably do more, but it could be risky. Or I can't quite sustain this, but I don't want to only do two. This is the way where you can work out faster more often. Like this is the day Mm. you insert more and it doesn't have to impede your recovery really, especially if you're not doing massive sessions. So I think for a runner who's doing big volume, knowing I could maybe do more, maybe not, this is your way of doing more in a safe way. And eventually maybe this progresses to a run. Eventually this becomes a run session. Maybe in a perfect world it does. But maybe also in a perfect world, it allows you to add like this. This is a gateway to six more hours of cardio per week and still feeling great and hitting all your running metrics. But either way, I think you start in a way that you can build from there, just like you talked about progressive overload of your duration. Also starting in a way that there's room to go in a positive direction from this workout. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. And just the, the awareness around it, because it's going to be a little bit muddier because you're not going to get the same type of physical cues that yeah. might lead you down an overtraining or injury road because the impact is so much less. And like, so you're going to be dialed in a little bit more systemically and like, like energy storage wise, which uh, isn't always as clear. Mm-hmm. So how, how would you explain to someone that they can get better as a racer by doing more anaerobic machine work 
as a runner, because this, this is an episode for people who are trying to be the best runner possible. What would your pitch be that if you got on the ergs or the assault bike or the elliptical, that I can make you a better runner? Yeah, probably. Well, it's if we're talking about producing lactate, right? You can you can kind of put it put these workouts in like two different buckets. Like there's anaerobic power and anaerobic capacity. Like your power is how much you can actually produce mm-hmm. so that you can run off of this uh, se- secondary tertiary energy that your body uh, will create for you when you're in uh, an oxygen depleted state. Like you can train so that you can create more of that. It might be a little bit, it, it's more, that's probably a little bit more movement specific than, uh, than not, but you still are training yourself to produce that. And once you produce more of that from those power, you can work on your capacity to work in anaerobic. And that's basically using that fuel and then re, uh, shuttling that back into your system. So you just get more attempts to do that and become more efficient at working off of this fuel that's generally uncomfortable to work on. Like the byproduct of this fuel feels bad. But if you can get more opportunities to do that, you will start to feel, not feel better, but you can kind of elongate the period of the discomfort or become a little bit more familiar with the discomfort, right? So it's just a way to, to expand the amount of time where you're, where you're in this, this zone of discomfort, yeah. I think is, would be my pitch. And I think that second part is so key that, yeah, the first part says, just because you can produce more doesn't mean you're going to be able to when you switch to a different modality. True. But because yes. you can sit in it and sip on it and convert it does mean that you can do that at the next modality. And it's just like if you took 100 runners and 100 random people and had them do a bike race, the runners would, across the board, probably wipe the floor with the random people who don't work out. And you'd say, why is that? You're not a biker. Why are you better at biking despite not biking? It's like, well, I maybe struggled on some of the things to feel like I feel running, but I know that pain. Like biking uphill is like running uphill. Maybe just a little worse and it took me longer to recover, but I recovered way quicker than those, those random Joes who did it. We're saying the same thing in reverse, which is cranking on the ski erg won't make you able to crank on the run, but having right. cranked on the ski erg and survived it and having to endure a lactate heavy environment means that when you get to a running heavy lactate environment, your body has the systems improved in place to deal with that. So you don't become a faster runner by becoming a faster ski erger, but you become a runner with better staying power by being a faster ski erger. That's what we're saying. You can drive your lactate tolerance up and your ability to convert it and use it as fuel rather than just be overloaded by it by living on the machine in addition to running. Because if you're already a good runner or you're running and you're using good form in your workouts, you don't have to learn to pair it. Your engine's going to automatically adapt it. It will occur. And that's like when we're doing these type, when you are getting the these type of grindier, longer workouts for running in, in particular, say you're training for half marathon, marathon, whatever. Um, when you test for like doing those type of, uh, like when if you're going to test your lactate for doing those type of workouts, it's global, right? You can get it from your ear. Right. Like it's, it's all over. It's not just isolated in your legs. So like if you are doing these workouts, you're going to get that global type of response as well. So yeah, I think that's just more time in that this uncomfortable space. That's a really good point that if you can take the test at your ear, if moving your ears produce lactate, it would improve your ability (laughs) to use it in your legs. I get arm only bike will help you as a runner tolerate lactate. 
it'll help you with oxygen transport doing vo2 max work on the rower won't make your vo2 max running pace faster in theory but it'll make you more durable at that pace i don't know if durable is the correct term there but when you're used to a feeling you can feel it in any modality when you're used to working in a really really anaerobic state you can work in it you may not be as efficient as a runner if you're not running, but if you're already running, this is pure engine work. And I think that's what people have to think about. This is heart work, engine work, oxygen transport. Those things do not care about your modality. And so you can use all those systems once you transfer back, assuming you don't stop working on your running. That's the main thing, right? This can't take, this is not in place of yeah. your running, this whole conversation. It's like the runner who doesn't want to lift because they don't want to get bulky. The only way you lift as a runner and get bulky is if you drop your volume and eat a ton. Eat a ton, right. The only way cross-training makes you slower as a runner is if you stop running. That's a misnomer as well about like more mileage, right? Like doing longer, slower miles doesn't make you slower. Not doing speed work makes you slower. Correct. You should repeat that for the audience one more time for the people in back. Running more miles will not make you slower. Not doing speed work will make you slower. And there's a very famous coach who said long, slow distance makes long, slow runners. Is that Co? Yes. Who said that? Yeah. I believe Peter Co. Well, he was a mid-distance guy. That's your that's your kind of that's your kind of trainer right there. Was he, he was also super a low mileage, ten miles and above? Probably could have run a great yeah. marathon. How many but miles would he put in a week though? He wouldn't put in a ton of miles. He's one of those classic case studies of myth versus what really happened. He famously didn't count warm up cool down. And other things like that. Like he said oh. he was a 60 to 70 mile runner, but people trained with him like, dude, he was doing 90s. <laughs> like, oh, okay. He did plenty of that longer. Like he ran 10 and 12 all the time. And he would Which, even I count mean, jump and when miles we're talking about, miles. <laughs> and when we're talking about athletes at that level, this is even like uh, the Jakob, right? Like not necessarily high volume, but still like 130 miles a week. Or like <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's like, all right. Okay. We're, we're yeah. talking about different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the key there, and I'm going to reiterate what Rich said, is that Running long, slow distance doesn't make you only a long, slow runner. Not doing your speed work makes you not fast. If you do what you've been doing and you add more of non-destructive pieces to it, you get better at that thing. Even like no matter how slow your extra running is, you're going to be better with oxygen transport. You're going to be better. Absolutely. Just in general, as long as you don't remove pieces, removing pieces from the equation is the danger. But in this conversation, we're not talking about taking a running workout away and doing it on the bike. We're saying, can we add the bike into your week so that you can hit more of the, let's say the the double threshold, you're hitting more threshold sessions like the pros are. If they're hitting five threshold sessions per week and you're hitting two to three, can you hit five as well? And the answer is unequivocally, yes, you can. What those sessions look like is going to have to be very fluid. 12 minute session on the ski erg is a threshold session. Is mm-hmm. it an optimal threshold session? No, but it's 12 more minutes at threshold than you are spending, which is pretty much guaranteed to have a benefit to you if you do it long enough. There's no way it will make you worse. It can't. <laughs> it's like 0% chance. No. If you and your clone both were doing the same training and he started adding in 12 extra minutes of threshold twice per week, who do you think is going to be better a year from now? Even slightly, right? Yeah. There will be benefits. For sure. And what happens in running? In any in any event where you have to locomote yourself, as soon as you start 
to crumble. You bleed out. Like very rarely do you see a marathon where someone's like, you know what? I just got really tired towards the end and I just lost a second per mile. <laughs> That's not what happens. Or I lost five seconds per mile every mile in the second half of the race. It doesn't happen that way. It's not linear. You lose five seconds, then you lose 20, then you lose 55, and then you're walking. And so if you can extend by even one mile, you beat yourself by seven minutes, even if you crumble mm. the same after. So that same person, if they only get marginally better, that margin is like, that's, that's everything. When you're trying to improve as an athlete, getting 2% better means you make it maybe 2% farther at the same pace before you crack. And that might get you out of sight, or that might just mean like you don't crack until 20 in the marathon instead of 18. To me, is that worth two 12 minute sessions per week as buy-in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like there's no, like, yeah, there's no reason not to really, yeah. at the end, at the end of this. Right? Could you hurt yourself lifting? Yeah. Yes. Could you hurt yourself running more? <laughs> yeah, you will. Yeah. Can you hurt yourself adding in non-impact cardio? Yes. But it is I mean, you can't so, say no. But, you, can't, you can hurt yourself like, doing anything. But you fall mine, off the machine. The machine falls on you. Like, yeah. I don't. Buddy yeah. of mine broke her ribs sneezing. All right. You had sneezing to your week, you <laughs> yeah, could get right. hurt. But it is so much more difficult to hurt yourself, and it's guaranteed to improve you. Very yeah. few guarantees in the world. Getting more quality work in with very little injury risk is a guaranteed way to get better. So let me ask you about even if you take it even a step further than, say, like this threshold, like anaerobic type training. Okay. If you're going into straight up like VO2 max, your 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 respiration rate is maxed out completely. Your yes. heart rate is about as high as you can get in that type of duration. In general, what are your thoughts on that? When it comes to like machine work, I really like it as a tool. So I think it's the perfect way to transition to the next stage of training in a classic periodized training template. Like if you have your pyramid where it's base and then threshold and VO2 max and then like sprint to finish off or whatever, maybe you finish at VO2 max. I think you can jump the gun on the block like and then thus extending the previous block by starting with the machine. So let's say I'm transferring out of base phase into my, let's say, staying power block of training where I'm going to do a bunch of hills and threshold work. I can get started on the assault bike like two weeks prior, lay some groundwork with some threshold intervals. It's not changing my training at all. But then when I move into threshold, I've already kind of greased that groove. Like it's ramping into it rather than changing gears. It's like, oh, I can handle this. I already got the, the initial feeling of that out of the way in a small dose that didn't affect me. And then I feel that with VO2 max as well. I really like doing this when I'm prepping for something down the road, but I don't want to prep for it yet. For example, let's say a, a stadium race for me at the end of prepping for Tahoe. I did that many times, Killington or Tahoe. And at the end of the year, I also have these stadiums to do. That's when I'd start doing like my fan bike work and things like that, where I'm doing all my threshold and hill stuff, but then I'm going like all out on 30, 30s and 60, 60s for 15 to 20 rounds on the assault bike mm -hmm. to start mm -hmm. driving real Ugh. lactate production because mm -hmm. it's not going to affect my hill workout the next day. I'm going to go grind on the ski hill for two and a half hours. It doesn't matter if I did 30, 30 by 20 the night before. It's not going to affect my workout at all. But when I transfer, I have a five-week crash course now for a stadium. I've already laid the path for that pathway to be efficient. And I've started handling that. So I think that's my first response to that is I really like it for prepping for what comes next. Or if you are going to sharpen, you can sharpen with less risk. I'm going to do a VO2 max running workout on the track, but I'm going to get a second one in the week on a machine without the risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where it's amazing, right? You don't have like getting to that VO2 max while running is hard and it's like damaging, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like 
mechanically to be coordinated and efficient enough to really get you to that point. Like it's not saying you can't do it, but you you have to be pretty practiced, pretty seasons where you can just sit on an assault bike, man, and just go. Go for 15 seconds, you know? If I do 12 by 400 five, faster than 5K, I walk around like a zombie the rest of the day. Yeah. Everything is used so dramatically. Now you get better at that kind of thing. But if I do that on the assault bike, I can go hit an hour run later in the day. Mm-hmm. So, for sure. I, I don't know. I don't know where you wanted to go from that. But yeah, I would start with either transitioning, getting a jump on the next race or training block or sharpening, sharpening without risk. Yeah. I mean, it just is like the next place to really kind of go with uh with this right like Mm -hmm. i I like it if one if you feel like you need to do it if like that's a feeling that you want to go after i don't know if runners necessarily like crave that as much as someone who might be into like the high intensity pieces i think you hear it from people who need who have to get faster and feel like the way to get faster is by running really fast right right you can get have your cake right okay and the other side i kind of think of it more I'm going to derail you for a second, but if you just have to run 5K pace or faster every week, sure, do it. But now you're a two-workout-a-week guy, and I'm going to add in a third threshold workout on a machine for you. Like mm-hmm. We can fudge the numbers there. Then you can get the engine work I want you to do and the recovery I want, and we can give you that fast speed that you crave. But we're only doing one session a week. We can probably keep that going for eight or ten weeks. You'd probably get pretty fit off of that. Yeah. So you, I think that it allows you for 5K to – stuff. It gives you wiggle room for – Maybe like what you said, I want rather than I need. For sure. And that's that I think that that, you know, and that's viable, right? That is a, a, a good enough reason as any to do something, right? Same thing. Like yeah. you, the best one you're going to do is the one you're going to do. Um, I heard a the great way I kinda line take a look- last night. You know what the biggest room in the world is? I don't know. The room for improvement. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you think of that one and you're pawning no. that off? You wanted to see what the response what I would give you if I was no. like, hey, that's pretty good. I had the no? same response you did when you told me. I went, <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> good on you. But, yeah, the, the workout you uh, look forward to doing. You're not a pro athlete, right? Most people listening to this. I shouldn't say you. You are, you are, you are a pro athlete. Semi. Not really. Sort of. Almost no one listening to this is training for the Olympics or to get a six-figure or seven-figure contract, which means us enjoying it means everything. Yeah, So if you need to work hard, this is your way to work really hard. Like if you have to sting and burn, you you can find all of that that you could ever want on a machine and you can last longer. That's often – right. And that's often where I kind of will steer people, especially for the VO2 max stuff. It's like "Ah, what we're talking about. It's not going to be very specific for – unless yeah, you're training for uh, 3K to 5K a mile, you know, if you are mm-hmm. in that rare group of people that want to maximize that still, then yes, you would need to have that on uh, in running specifically. But generally, those type of intervals are not going to be very specific. So it's either kind of put into some sort of pre-competition block to kind of prep you or nowhere at all, right? Or but nowhere if you feel like you want to have that – or nowhere at all. <laughs> but if you feel like you need to have that in your in your world, these machines is basically where I'll kind of push people toward. Um, but I kind of think of it as like heavy lifting, right? It kind of makes, for me, anecdotally, it makes respiration feel easier on other days, right? And I believe that's sort of what VO2 Max is, VO2 Max training would do, right? Part of it is like like how much oxygen. you can utilize extra uh, oxygen, yeah. right? And I think it can do that a little bit. And the the VO2 max is not very malleable the way that in terms of like how much it's going to change. Like it's not going to go from it's uh, not like 50 threshold. to 70. Right. 
like you can get better, but it's marginal. Right. And it's for a short amount of time. So I like these for that kind of thing, right? Like just making the breathing feel a little bit easier, heavy lifting, you're breathing so much heavier than you typically would do. And if that is just, if that is just qualitative, like, Hey, this feels a little bit better. There's nowhere to really measure it. Like I still think that's helpful. Well, what's the physiology behind racing up or down before a championship race like in college before the 800 we'd run a mile the week before before conference champs or for milers like running a 5k three weeks out or for a 400 guys jumping in an 800 a few weeks like what's the physiology behind why that makes you perform better is it is there i don't know what can you do seven days out from a race to physiologically help yourself be better other than sleep i mean it the only thing you can potentially adapt to is maximum speed, right? Yes. Mechanically, you can improve or skill. Mechanically, you can improve a little bit. But other than that, nothing really. But why why do most great, even pro coaches, have their athletes race atypical distances within range of an A race? It's It's perceived exertion, right? Yeah. It's comparison. This hurt this yeah. much. This hurts differently or less. Less intense but long. I could do half Shorter this. but more intense. Yeah. I just ran a mile. After one lap, I'm kicking. Like, there's a reason that not all equally talented people perform the same and because at the end of the day, it's between the ears. That's what really matters. And so if you've done all the engine work, sometimes just comparatively, this hurts less than a 2K row. Okay. I can handle, or even it hurts the same, but this is my world. I thrash myself on that rower and it sucked and I suck at rowing. But now feeling that way while running, I'm good at this. I can exist in this. That's, that's enough. For sure. And I think that's really where these, these type of reps can, can fit in for you. It's like, this sucks less than that sucked, right? (laughs) Like could be that simple. I suck better at running than rowing. And so let's go like. I can sit in the suck. Right, right. I, I talked about it a lot already on the episode, the two episodes after I ran it, but I ran that, that road mile this year when I was not in great shape, but I've been doing a lot of row finishers. And I ended up running within 10 seconds of my post-collegiate PR, eh, 12 seconds. And it sucked, but it didn't hurt worse than a 2K row time trial or a thousand meter row <laughs> finisher to a workout, but it, it hurt better. Like I had efficiency hurting at a mile. I don't have efficiency hurting on hmm. the rower. I start throwing my upper body back to try to make up for my failing arms and legs during a row time trial. In a run, I'm not really failing is, out in yeah. a mile until maybe the last 50 meters. You know, So it's just different. It's your realm. So feel someone else's realm and get better while you're there and then come back with that comparative better feeling. Yeah. I like that. I like that for, for that kind of tool. Right. And again, that's not something you can measure as much. Can't measure it. One thing though, that we haven't touched upon that I don't talk about very often because we're not in a sport where you get rid of your long run very often. Hmm. Maybe hybrid, you, you start getting rid of your long run before competition, but track where, sure. where, where we came from, you stop doing your long run as championship season approaches. You cut, you scale it way back. You're not doing 16 to 20 typically the week before conference or national. That's just mm-hmm. not what's going to happen. But this, there are runners who need their long effort to feel good, or they need their long effort to stop eroding their, their aerobic base. We saw it with, uh, I've talked about it on here, but you've had Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden, and they found that they have to taper differently. One needs grindy stuff. He needs to stay doing more threshold. That peaks him. And the other one needs to start doing VO2 max stuff. And that 
shoots his numbers up. But the other, when he stopped doing threshold stuff, his numbers started dropping right away. And so there are some people who mm. need longer grindy stuff in championship season or need their long run or whatever. Mm. A machine is a way to hedge your bets. Go hit a long grindy session. You're not going to be beat up. Part of the reason we're, most of the reason we're getting rid of the long run before a track race is because you got to get the fatigue and the pounding out of your legs so you can pop off the track. Switch to a non-impact. You can still, you can, you can have the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's a very viable option. And, and kind of the way that you enter more uh, threshold work post a run threshold, that's what I would do for long run stuff. Take your 90 minute run to a 60 minute run with 30 minutes of rotating machines. Yeah. Right. It's like you need that. Yeah. And some people do. And it's a way that I think if I looked back into indoor and outdoor track in college, I could have made it to outdoor feeling good. We peaked so hard indoor. Mm. We ran so hard indoor. And then outdoor, I was on fumes. But could I have peaked differently indoor, especially on a 200-meter indoor track where your beautiful stride and your unbroken cadence and running skill matters a whole lot less than having a great engine that can shift gears really quickly? Looking back, I think mm. there's a lot of room for machine work indoor for me or outdoor when i was burnt switching to some machine work while i recover my running a bit without otherwise we just took two weeks off and then we came back out of shape and you raced your way back into shape i i think there are ways to yeah. cover up gaps in your season either preemptively or when you've already overcooked yeah it's a good bridge too from off season into great bridge pre-comp type of thing yeah 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 that's summer work you could stay in touch with vo2 max year round just on right. a machine. right where you just don't want to do that on running where it's not going to it's not going to benefit you in any way because it's not specific and it's a little mm -hmm. bit damaging. So, yeah. So my last question for you then is about VO2 max. Let's say you'd need to have mm -hmm. it dabbled in there, but you don't want to do it running. You love your threshold. You love your mm -hmm. grindy stuff, but you know you need to tolerate it better. What's your hierarchy, to bring back the machine hierarchy, of effective VO2 max outlets? So being able to do a VO2 max work on this machine, which like I can't choose uh, aqua jogging. <laughs> Just not, it's not an outlet for VO2 max. It'd be really, right? you gotta really be, hard. <laughs> you got to spend a decade in there to get to the point. the weights in your hands. Yeah. And... <laughs> so what's your hierarchy for <clears throat> VO2 max machines where you can drive that, but the the most bang for your recovery buck? What's going to affect you the least and give you the best workouts? We talked about how a bigger fan bike is not great for zone two to three, yes. but it's made, it's made for this. It's full body. Your, your breathing kind of goes at the same rate as your musculature because mm -hmm. that's one thing that we, you want that is hard to kind of match up, right? Like where I found potentially on like a ski erg, you can definitely do it, but you still need to be uh, powerful and efficient. But like you, your musculature might fail you before your breathing kind of goes mm -hmm. on something like that. And the row may be the same, but I you're going closer. in a different so direction. I, do, I thought when you were going to say where your muscles go in tandem with your breathing, I thought you actually meant like breathing without bracing, like a rower where you might only breathe um, on the way back and brace on the, you know, some people will brace in, on certain oh, machines. Oh, yes. I, I didn't see where you were going with that. I see. I, well, that, that's also kind of true, right? Like there's point, there's like True, there's but break. I thought, man, he's really thought about this. <laughs> nah, he's disrupting his breathing intentionally to match it to running. That's, he's living in the That would dimension. be next level. We could try it. But the, uh, but the assault bike, yeah, it, it kind of goes in tandem, right? Like nothing's going right. before something else. Like your legs might blow up, but your, your, your respiration is right there with it. Yes. And that's a, a part of these VO2 max things that you want is that high end respiration rate. It's not just muscular. Like that's something different. It's muscular endurance. And that's like what Kirk goes take to. Over. Kirk goes right to the assault bike. That's his number one choice. Mm -hmm. Have to. Have to. Then probably the rower. 
I would, I would, I'd probably lean into that. I mean, you could probably get some good. I'm sure the elliptical. I've never done VO2 max reps on an elliptical. I feel like a thing would like tip over. I think elliptical is great I'd for high lower. end aerobic. Yeah. I agree. That's what I like it for. I agree. Because I don't want to dawdle on there because I realize I'm on elliptical. But if I can do some work, it keeps me engaged. But maybe you'd have to get a good like commercial quality elliptical to like not shake that thing to its core trying to do a 5K picture. (laughs) (laughs) Or you got to be like in mud, right? Like barely moving. Like, But there's that's the same thing. You might be failing out muscularly. Yeah. Band? Yeah, attach banded elliptical. arms and legs to the wall behind you. (laughs) Was that Hobie who had a hook in his wall on the treadmill that he ran against for a little bit of resistance to counteract the effect of the machine helping you? Oh, really? I think that was him. It'd be in front of him? No, behind. Oh, oh. With a band connected to like an eye hook in the wall and then a little bit of lean into it. I think that was Hobie. I could be wrong though. We talked to someone who did that. Can That's not a bad idea. That thing? Not good. Not good. I don't think there's anything made for that. But yeah, assault bike, row, ski. Ski just because uh, just efficiency wise, people. I don't think people are quite there. Um, so it would take a little bit of time to, yeah, a little bit of a learning curve there. Ski's one I wish I were better at because it's my go-to when I'm beat up. If I'm beat up from any running workout on earth, there's not one that I get on the skier and think, oh, this is going to make it worse. It's just so, it mm-hmm. happens mostly from the waist up. Yeah, you can drive with your legs and skier. You really can, but you don't have to. You don't feel it the way you do on a row. The row gets really miserable and you can keep yeah. going because you're such a big muscle group that it can keep firing. So Where on the ski, not as much. Yeah, ski is my go-to when I'm beat up, but I want work. But it's certainly third mm. on that list behind. I have the same list, assault bike and then rower. Rower, I'm better at. I can do threshold if I want, but only because you can watch in real time. Like I pushed a little harder with my legs and I tipped a little over. I'm going to pull back. Every stroke gives you instant feedback. Skierg, I'm not as good at watching the monitor during an assault bike. It's like, right. no matter right. what it's telling me, I'm tipping. Right. For sure. For yes, sure. I would agree. Assault bike. And I think anything that makes you engage your upper body is beneficial to a runner because no running you mm. do will tax your arms as much as rowing or especially assault bike. And so everything is comparatively mm-hmm. easier. But very few runners can drive anything from their arms. Not that you should want to most of the time, but you'd like it to be there as an option towards the end of a race. Yeah. Yeah. Could be, be good, good practice, good tactile like reminders. So did, did you, have you ever felt lactate in your arms? during a standard running race during a running race i will i don't know if it's if if it's if if i'm going to be confusing this with tension i will get fatigue um in my like traps oh, okay that makes sense that's that's where i think like but i think that's a little bit more breathing that get chesty and then the, the, that's more of like a cue that might be more tension i i mean if so like, yeah, probably like the end of a mile or an 800. Mile and eights, I always did until I found OCR. And I think it was just because they were pushed, your arms were pushed to their absolute limit that they'd never been to in training. From added tension and straining, kicking from 300 out instead of trying to be efficient in reps. Like it took you to that one little place it wasn't used to. And it suddenly was like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And it just, I got like that numbish heavy arm feeling mm. in most eights and miles I ran. And I've not had it post-collegiately. And I've run some that are in the range of the speed I ran in college, close yeah. enough that if it would have happened, it would have happened. And maybe one, maybe one I got it. But since getting into OCR, like primarily and using just my training arms, arms more. Yeah. They just mm. knew how to produce it now. And so they're not overwhelmed by that slight amount that you produce at the end of a race. And it might be That's more muscular than systemic there, but like it, if it's a 1%. Or if you're like consistently running 8s and 15s on a track, like you're just so like 
coordinated and locked in and you can just produce so much more that the global effect might yeah. reach your arms a little you bit. You can get to that place. You can – yeah, right. You that you can and it's that's when the vision yeah. starts kind of getting wobbly. Right. But, but I've been there. Like my first – after my – right before my second Spartan Race World Championships, I ran 420. And that's not – my indoor PR was 418 in college. Like it's not that far 420 is fast. Yeah. That's fast enough I would have felt it. Like I was in death zone for an hour after that race. But I didn't, I didn't feel it. And I think it's just because I would learned to – to deal with my arms. So you think there's some merit? I actually think for... so. And I think very few people listening need to work on that for an 800 or a 15. But I think there's right. real merit for marathoners and ultra runners. That towards the end of a race, like even power hiking, you are a significantly better power hiker if your upper body knows how to work in ways other than just power hiking. Your triceps will blow out power hiking a 4,000 foot climb. Hmm. But if you've been doing ski erg and assault bike, you can drive power there when you need it. In a way that hmm. a standard runner can't. So yeah, and at the end of a marathon, holding your form together, you're not going to be faster for having done the assault bike, but I bet you can drive your arm form better. Yeah, I mean, there's again, it's like one, it's like that same thing that I talked about. Like if it's marginally improved, yeah, then why not? Like this kind of falls in that same bucket. Like you're not going to be worse off. No, from an arm drive's perspective, if like you're considering it. Yeah, and we're getting theoretical now. But if at like mile 22 of a marathon, someone came to you and said, "I can make your shoulders a little less tired," would you take that? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take whatever you can offer me. Just for the mental reprieve, right? Yeah. Like it's, that's, I get, that's probably more, it's probably RPE, right? Yeah. Like but if you just didn't course. have to think about your shoulders or traps or arms at the end of a marathon, that mm-hmm. alone, well, maybe it's worse because then you think about your quads, <laughs> but like that alone, <laughs> having one less thing on your plate is worth it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You got anything else here? I don't think so. I had some notes that I wrote during, but I think we touched, I think we touched them all. Okay. So then I said last question, but I'm going to say last, last question. Last, last. Who does this benefit the most? We can kind of write off mid-distance track runners because how many are in high school and college listening to a running podcast, like searching out how to get better? They're not. You're running 100-mile weeks already, and you're trying to study and sleep. Yeah. So who is this in the pure running world? Who would benefit the most from incorporating machine work, either aerobically or anaerobically? And maybe there's a different answer for both. I think it's probably someone who's a little bit more experienced on the running end of things who've tried a couple of different blocks in a couple of different ways and have, mm-hmm. and have experimented with just the run alone and seeing where that can kind of take them. And if it's that person that's gone through a couple of different things, tried it a couple of different ways, maybe has had a coach here or there, had a couple of different training programs that are relatively high level and, and are looking to be – to improve themselves in maybe some non-traditional ways or are, yeah. are willing to experiment some way. I think, I think that's that. So like the competitive weekend warrior, I don't know what, what kind of, how, what kind of bucket are we talking? How, how, how do we classify that? Competitive I think, yeah. athlete, competitive, not, competitive, manager. non-elite athlete. Yeah. Or plateau. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think it's both ends of the spectrum. It's the newbies to just get more work in on the things that matter without risk when you can't run much. And it's the people who have done it long enough to have slowed their progression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone would benefit from it, but the biggest benefits I think are from the new the new athletes and then those that like I dedicate myself to this, but I'm not seeing a lot of improvement lately. Yeah, like on the newbie side, like no doubt they'll get much much better, and like that then they would have to most likely approach their training from this type of kind of global sense, mm-hmm. like a like a wider range of their training because it would be hard to know what does what. You know right. what I mean? Like where the where the benefits are coming from, and it really that doesn't matter. 
but like down the line, be like, oh, when I was rowing or when I did run this much, right. like I saw this type of benefit. You know what I mean? That's the tricky part. It's always, I did it. It worked. This is now what works. This is now what works for me always and forever. And that won't be the case with this because you're new on these things. They're going to drive stimulus change pretty quickly. And then you're going to have to rely on the long-term approach of just more and more volume of it until it really kicks in. Right. Right. Or just drop it. The see. Right. Yeah, or drop and see. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Just, just, if you're yeah. on that journey for newbie, you'll, you'll find out. But I agree with you. The newbie is the obvious choice, but the person who probably is most searching for this is the person who isn't currently improving. And who and who's done different stuff, right? Who's willing right. to to branch out and 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 try things. I raise my volume, I increase my long run, I've tried threshold work, I've gone in on this and right. I still have another level to get to and I can't train much more running than I can do. That's right. So it's worth that. And the, if nothing else, like there's a bit of a confidence boost in trying something new. Yeah. You know, and, and improving in different ways. Like, okay, I know I'm I've committed myself to trying to improve and uh, this should help that. Yeah. Or the aging athlete who can grind all day, but needs some get up and Big go time. engine work, but it's just too damaging to go out and run hard fours. Big time. That's a huge one. Yeah. That's coming up on us soon. We're not far. That's why we're in it right now, man. What do you think That's we're right. doing this stuff for? This isn't for you guys. That's this is pretty here. for us. <laughs> Big time. We've been just thinking about this. Yeah. Master circuit better watch out. So there's going to be some dogs. You're going to be in that? I mean, you got a three, four years? Yeah, 36 and a half. Did you see, uh, is there like a, was Kirk like circling records? Oh, yeah. He was circling have you, courses. Have you been doing that? No. And I, I, I don't think you even start thinking about 40 until you're 38. Then 39 hits and you're like, man, this is actually going to happen. I don't think 40 is even an option until you're 38. Yeah. You? I'm thinking about it a little bit. Not 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 the Masters thing. The, when the you turn 38? 40. Uh, March. March. So my friends are starting to turn 38 and I hate it. Oh. I hate that they're 38. And I, I'm not wishing them happy birthday or anything now because I don't want I don't want that. It shouldn't no. be happy. But what, what there should be a uh what is what do you think the Wisconsin mile record for 40 is? Oh, I don't know. I think the older I get, the lower I'm going to have to drop. <laughs> You're going to be hitting those like 200s won't be like those 90-year-olds uh, doing the 100. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm going to keep improving my long running. But the master's records, the longer it gets, are like they close in on the real oh, records. Good. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when Ian Caskey was looking at doing his Iowa State records, I looked at his 10K, his 5K. He was trying to hit mile eight. And I thought eight's the only one I could get there. The, I think I'd like I mean, to break two at 40. 40's not. That would be sick. I have two That's goals. I want to very... dunk at 40 and break two at 40. Have you dunked this year? No, I haven't dunked this year. You got it in you? Yeah, I, I could dunk right now because I'm still playing twice a week and I, you know, you'll You'll finger roll and like your wrist will be there. Or you pick a rebound up and you realize, oh, I took that off the rim. Like it's there, but I'm nervous to explode. And I can't dunk casually. You need to be at like 90%. I, yeah. I need to get, yeah, yeah, I yeah. like work my way up through the jumping effort. But yeah, 40, sub two at 40. Foot. I'm only two foot. Yeah. Yeah. Because the one, you can kind of like glide it. Yeah. And that's the one like accidentally on a finger roll, I'll get up. But when I think about it, I can't jump off one foot. And you said you need a lob? I can dunk off the dribble when I'm real loose, but it's... Mm -hmm. It's two foot plant. You got two months. Yeah, I should Was you dunk last year? Yeah. This is this record. This this streak is intact, right? This isn't a. Uh... Yeah, the dunk mile is intact. Never lost it. But the, I got the, the mile point. last year on December thirty first. <laughs> it was my first flat just, run that's in up... like a long time, and I wasn't. I didn't think I was ready. I was like, I just have to go do it, and like whatever ramifications be damn, let's go do it. And then it ended up being like you're being way too cautious. It was fine, and then I started training. You could do that right now, no problem. What's that? The the, the it's sub five, right? Yeah, I did that this year. I've done that. 
I hit that oh. in a couple workouts, oh. and then I ran that road race. Right, right. Yeah. No, you're way under. It was just last year I had, yeah, I had a, a surgery in the middle of the year, and then I had that that quad tendinopathy back-to-back. And so it took me from May out all the way through November, and then I was just running out of time. Usually it's the dunk that's the challenge. I mean, yeah, for always. What are you Googling here? I'm looking up. Uh, there's a dude who, who ran um, – yeah, I think Gary Gary Rosenberg, I think is his name. He did he was a runner and he's he did deca he did some deca stuff last year. Works for Garmin, but he uh he's been under five for a long time, like thirty ish years or something like that. So that 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 could be your future. Now, this is all with a big asterisk. I had a streak post collegiate before I picked up GPS watches where I don't have proof of certain years. Like one year I didn't officially break it, but I ran a fifteen forty two five K and I closed in four fifty one. That counts. I don't have proof of a mile, but I no average five oh two for a five K. Like you could make the jump. So I have a few of those years, but like in my mind, I broke every year since that doesn't count. Unless Guinness is going to come knocking or something like that, you don't got to worry about. Yeah, I I won't be able to. Like, if I get audited by the IRS, I can't prove of like three or four of the years, three three years. I think. Nah, you should be okay. We believe you. What are you going to do at forty? What do you think your best forty year old attribute will be? I'm going to hopefully still be cranking at this hybrid stuff. Yeah, I think I could be okay. There's some forty year olds that are doing all right. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just a mat. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I mean. I'm probably going to get really good at the rower and the skier. That's probably where that's going to go at some point. I, I can see it going that way for sure. Um, I like it. You talked to like Matt it. Gross ever? No, I haven't. Yeah. I he went haven't. after he, had to, he has still and had some age group national records. I want to be cautious, right? Like going all in on something like that now is not where I need to spend my time. Yeah. You know? Like when your but world title chances are done, you'll pivot. Is that what you're thinking? Something like that, yeah. That Look at maybe like uh, – when I'm 50, going after like the CrossFit games, okay. when everybody else is aged out, sick of it, burnt out, hurt, I can slide in there in my mid to late 40s. You see some of those guys in there and you realize there are some things you have to do to make the games that age. And one of them is a heavy, heavy chemical regimen. <laughs> They're monsters, dude. Absolute monsters. They're I just monsters. can't imagine so that's snatching at like- 50, like heavy snatching at 50 and – clean and And they don't take it light on like the masters or adaptive athletes they make them do hard shit yeah yeah it's just like do it or don't but we're not changing our standards which i can respect yeah i just don't want to do it a little scary but that's that might be my that might be my my go-to pivot back into crossfit at 50 into crossfit yeah i'm gonna be so immobile and stiff at 50 there's no way they're leaving wisconsin and you saw that right yeah it was bound to happen. Yeah. I thought they were going to go international first, but Texas in August is going to be not I- ideal Castro's just competition. Just together. He's going to be so gnarly. He's like, wait to see how goofy I make these this year. Well, all the runners who t- turned in for a running-specific episode are just loving the CrossFit and basketball chat right now. So Hey, if they're still here, they're still hour here. 50 in. They better be. This is long run material. Can't be cutting your long run short now. That's it's true. fall. It's the best running weather of the year. They're all sweaty too. They can't like take out the phone and change it. They want to, but they're like, ah, this will be over soon. <laughs> yeah, I can't. So we, th- this is how I'm wrapping today. On Halloween, we got dumped on. We had a snowstorm, but we hadn't lost yeah. all our leaves yet. So as soon as things unthawed the next morning, all the trees dropped all the leaves in the matter of like an hour. Hmm. So it went from like relatively not visible on the trails, but like 50% leaf coverage to a carpet of leaves in like one hour. They all unthought at like the same rate and you just see like they're just dropping. It was like snowfall, but it was leaves. 
It was, I've never seen anything like it. Our neighbor's tree went from full to bare in about two hours. Is it runnable or is it like kind of sketchy then? It's sketchy. Like if it's rocky, you don't see <laughs> yeah. the rocks or roots. Oh, trails, trails. I thought, I think uh, from I, my brain thought bike path. Oh, that but, too. But that too. We had snow. We had a bunch of snow here as well, but that hasn't quite happened. I think half the leaves are off, but my life now is like, I roll out my, my carpet to push the sled. I'm just sweep leaves out of the freaking way of the sled over and over and then the wind blows i gotta sweep it out again i don't want to be slipping on a leaf while pushing a yard pushing game a sled. stuff that's yard games that's right all right well ladies and gentlemen thanks for sticking around rich thanks for joining us co-hosting capacity again i was waiting for the call waiting for the call you're coming up on the highest uh reoccurring episodes you might be tied now i gotta be number one who who else? It's you and Hunter. I don't even know. I've lost count. I got to be close to ten. Oh, if you're if you think you're up to ten, then you're you're the champ. Close to ten. I'm gonna go through and check, and when I post the show notes, I'm gonna include your your lifetime rank. Check the records. It's nice hanging out with the TRP folks. And I will see you in person in Chicago one week from tomorrow. So soon. Maybe a live podcast. Not sure though. Not sure though. We're gonna have three of the four. And Lisa, Lisa's been hosting. We're gonna have four. TRP host slash race brain host right there. These beautiful microphones, I don't think are meant for travel, but we got got the old ones. I got the Yeti. All right. Thanks for giving up your afternoon for me. I appreciate you as always. I'll see you soon. For sure, man. Thank you. Thank you.